Would you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9? Acts chapter 9. If you've uh, done the reading in the story, you know we are in chapter 29 in this series, and we're coming toward the end of our time together uh, in this study that's taking us from Genesis to Revelation. And I hope that it has been a a very good one for you. Uh, I've enjoyed preaching through it. Sometimes it's a challenge, like today. We're supposed to cover Paul's life, his missionary journeys, and all of the epistles he wrote in one message. So that's a, that's a little bit daunting to come to, and we'll try to do the best we can here as we highlight some of those things. But let me pray for us as we begin. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul, for his passion, his devotion, his commitment to bring the gospel to those who have never heard. And we are here today, really, because of the fruit of his ministry as it was passed on from one generation to another. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church and as individuals to be part of your plan to bring the gospel to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. There are certain individuals whose impact on history is larger than life. You can think about in American history, one of those individuals who stands out is President Lincoln. This past year, there was a a message, uh, I mean a movie that was made about Lincoln's life, and if you had a chance to see it, you know that it is a powerful telling of what happened in that Civil War period when Lincoln was trying to hold a nation together in a time of civil war. He was working with a Congress that was divided to try and pass an amendment that would abolish slavery in the United States. And at the same time as he's working on all of that, uh, he has experienced the death of his own son, and he's living with a very difficult kind of marriage situation under great pressure. And in spite of all of that, in spite of all those things that were going on, somehow he was able to hold the nation together and to pass that amendment, the 13th Amendment, that abolished slavery in the United States. It's quite remarkable. Abraham Lincoln would say of himself, though, that he was just an ordinary man. He had strengths and weaknesses. He had those great gifts, but he had also great flaws. And he would talk about how many times he was driven to his knees in prayer. It was by the grace of God that he was able to accomplish these things. And when you look at the history of the church... The Apostle Paul is another one of those individuals whose impact upon history in the church is just larger than life. No apostle did more than Paul to advance the gospel. Uh, Paul, personally, in the book of Acts, we see he started ten churches. That's pretty significant in what he was doing. Paul also wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. So almost half of the New Testament was written by Paul. These epistles, these letters that were sent to the Romans or the Ephesians or the Corinthians and others. And yet when Paul would talk about his own life, and we see this in the scripture, he described himself as the worst of sinners. He said, I am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I mean, he looked at himself, and he would put himself in the last position. Paul's work to advance the gospel came at great personal cost. You know the stories that uh, the suffering he endured, the imprisonments, the floggings, being beaten, uh, being thrown again in prison, stoned at one time, left for dead, shipwrecked, hungry, homeless, sleepless. 
All of those things he endured to bring the gospel to those who had never heard. Yet Paul, too, would say he was just an ordinary man. An ordinary man with strengths and weaknesses, but a man whom God used to accomplish extraordinary things. And I make that point because when we look at these people in Scripture, I want us to understand that they were not superheroes. You know, they're not like Superman or some other fictional character. They were real men, real women, with strengths and weaknesses, but what was unique about them was their commitment to God. And God used them, he blessed them, and he accomplished significant things through them. Today we're going to look at Paul's life and his teaching. And the way I want to try and summarize this so that we can get through it and get the big idea is I want to take the four points that I made last week and apply them to Paul's life. I shared four key words last week that all started with an M to kind of summarize the book of Acts. And we talked about the mission, the message, the method, and the means. And that's what I want us to look at today as well when we think about Paul's life as an example of that and to see how we too are to connect with God's mission. So number one, Paul understood the mission of the church. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 9. It's on page 399 in the story if you have that copy with you. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what the believers were called, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, but they they heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. We'll stop there. Paul's conversion is one of the most dramatic in Scripture. Here he is. He is called Saul. That was his name, but his name will be changed to Paul. And and so uh, Paul is a zealous Jew. He believed that he was doing the right thing to honor God by persecuting Christians. He wanted to stamp out this belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he was there when Stephen was stoned, Stephen being the first martyr, and he approved of that. And he was going to go and arrest any other believers that were out there and have them thrown in prison or put to death as well. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul would describe himself in this way. He said, if anyone else thinks that he has reasons to put confidence or to boast in the flesh, I have even more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I mean, here was a man 
who strove to keep the law in every area as specifically, as obediently as he could. He thought he was doing everything to honor God, but he was missing the mark of what God wanted. And so here he is, he's on the way to Damascus, and God strikes him down. Blinding light that comes, a voice from heaven, Jesus calling to him. So here was Paul, hearing this voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul got up, he was led into the city of Damascus, and God sent one of his servants in that city, a man named Ananias, to lay his hands on Saul so that he might restore his sight. Now when Ananias hears that God wants him to go to see Saul, he objects. I mean, he goes, Lord, don't you know this guy? This guy's trying to kill us. What are you doing? You're, you're sending me to this guy? This would be like going to a, a known terrorist or somebody like that and saying, you want me to go? Yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. In chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, God said, go. For this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You wonder what Saul was shown in that vision when it says that God would show him how much he must suffer for my name. How much of his life was laid out before him when he heard the mission, his assignment, and when he heard that he would suffer for the sake of Christ. The change in Paul's life was staggering. I mean, he went from persecuting the church to proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. The believers just were amazed and some doubted some thought maybe this is some kind of trick maybe he's trying to get on the inside or something you know and then he's going to turn against all of us and it took some persuasion paul would say about his own life that he did not learn the gospel from any other man it's an interesting thing that's told in the scripture that after paul's conversion he went away into arabia this was his wilderness experience and there by revelation from Jesus Christ, Paul learned the gospel. Jesus taught Paul the gospel by revelation. And so you have these two independent strains. You have the 12 apostles that were over here that had spent time with Jesus, and you have Saul over here learning from Jesus in Arabia. And when they come together and compare notes, which they do, it's the same gospel. I mean, that's, that's just an amazing thing to note how God brought that together. And Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. His mission was to go and make disciples among the Gentiles. And Paul would say of himself in Philippians when he went on, he said, whatever was to my profit, those things I once thought were gain, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Can we say that too? Have we let go of the things that we once held on to so dearly and surrendered it all to Jesus Christ? Have we given him our life fully? And have we made the mission of the church our mission as well? 
Because, see, God wants all of us to be involved in that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And that starts right where we live, in our own neighborhoods, in our community, the friends, the people we know, to help influence and bring others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul boldly proclaimed the message. Now, we saw last week that the message that they were to preach is the gospel. And Paul would say in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he would say that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You know, here Paul was trying to gain kind of a works righteousness under the law, and he came to understand that that's impossible. Salvation isn't something that we earn by being a good person or by trying to follow the law or by going to church as often as we can. Those things aren't the things that we do to merit our salvation. There's nothing that we could do to gain it. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's what he has done for us that has made a way that we can know God. And all he does, he invites us to come, surrender our heart to him, place our faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, to admit our sins and to turn from it and to turn to Christ. It's the Apostle Paul who gives us the original Romans road of salvation. And many of you have learned that Roman road and you have shared it with others. But Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And that's a very simple way to share the gospel. Anyone can do that. You can do that. You could memorize those verses and you could share that with others. A simple way to get at the very heart of the gospel. And Paul would say in the book of Galatians, that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Do you think the gospel was important to Paul? Do you think it's important that we stay true to the message? I mean, you can't say that any stronger than what he said. I mean, he is saying that if someone comes and they change the gospel or they take away from the glory of Christ and the work of what he did for the cross on us, then let him be eternally condemned because that's a false gospel. Paul preached the gospel everywhere he went. He suffered greatly because of the message he preached. And I think about each of us, and I would ask you, do, do we understand the gospel? Do you understand the gospel? And can you share it clearly? And if not, then this is a time for you to say, you know what, I want to know that message better. I want to know how I can share that very simply and easily. If you want to understand the gospel, read the book of Romans. Read the book of Galatians and hear Paul's heart as he declared the truth about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us.
Pastor Jason has shared that his dad would use the illustration that, you know, that asks the question, is the gospel like ice cream or is it like insulin? And I think that's a really good illustration, you know, because a lot of people want to say that the gospel is like ice cream, you know, that it really doesn't matter what you believe and any flavor will do. That's not true. The gospel is indeed like insulin. If you are a diabetic, it is the one thing you need to live. And the gospel is the one thing that we need to know Christ. Bill Bright in the four spiritual laws would say that just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, so are there spiritual laws that govern our relationship with God. You know, someone may say, well, yeah, I don't believe the law of gravity, okay? You know, I don't believe that that's really true. You'd be pretty foolish not to believe the law of gravity. I mean, if you step out of a 10-story building, you're going to go down whether you believe it or not. And in the same way that God has made this physical universe, there are spiritual truths that we need to know in order to be right with Him. And the way of salvation is shared in the Scriptures so that we can know how we can be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. But there's only one way. It is through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Paul was intentional in the method that he used. And we see that on his missionary journeys. This is where that handout that's in the bulletin today comes in. On this card, uh, this card, the two sides, goes through the book of Acts, and you see chapter references that are there, and you can see the events that occurred in the book of Acts. And this will highlight three, uh, or Paul's three missionary journeys. And you'll see where he went. On that first journey, he went through what would be uh, Cyprus and modern-day Turkey. And he went to places like Antioch and Iconium and Derby and Lystra and other places. And the years there, 46 to 48 AD, are our best fit for the time period in which this happened. In his second missionary journey, he goes back through visiting some of the same cities and places again and then goes on into Macedonia and Greece and on the back side is the third missionary journey, again revisiting some of the cities, but then breaking new ground again as he would travel. During that time, he wrote the letters, and that's in that far column. You can see all of the letters that Paul wrote, and then the other books of the Bible are put in parentheses, the books and when they were written. And so it's just a great kind of tool or card that you can keep in your Bible that will help you to understand where these letters fit in. Because again, our New Testament, just like the Old Testament, the New Testament is not put in chronological order. It's more thematic. You have the Gospels about the life of Christ. You have the Acts that are the history of the church. You have the epistles, the letters to the churches. And then you have Revelation that comes at the end that shows us what is yet to be and what is going to happen in the future. Now, Going back to Paul's method or his strategy, it was always the same. He would go to the cities, he'd go to centers of influence. And he would start in the synagogue to the Jew first, and then he would preach there to those and look for an open audience and reception, and when that door closed, he went to the Gentiles and he would preach to them. There were times when Paul was thrown in prison, like in Acts chapter 16, when he is thrown in prison in Philippi. And what do we see him doing there? Paul and Silas are in prison, 
And they're in stocks, they're in chains, and they are praising God for the privilege of suffering for Jesus and, and for the amazing things that God was doing. In that story, God sends an earthquake. Their chains are loose. They fall off. The doors fly open. The Philippian jailer thinks that prisoners have escaped, so he's about to take his own life with a sword. And Paul calls out and says, Don't do that. We are all here. And the Philippian jailer comes in. And Paul shares the gospel with him and his family, his whole household. And they come to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's amazing when you think about Paul's attitude and his character. Who is in a Roman prison and writes letters of joy and hope and confidence? It is a testimony to the power of the gospel that had changed his life and the truth of what he preached. And then, um, you know, you can look at wherever Paul went, his focus was on making disciples and planting churches. You know, he started that. uh, Oh, yeah, I forgot to note how Paul wrote several of his letters from prison. Those uh, letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were called the prison epistles. But Paul would go about making disciples, planting or starting churches. In 2 Timothy 2.2, he summed up his ministry in this way. He said, Timothy, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to a reliable man who will also be qualified to teach others. That, in a nutshell, was what Paul tried to do. He would look for faithful men who would believe the gospel, who could share that with others. He would teach and train them and then send them out over and over again. So you can look at that order. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. You know, when I first got exposed to that idea as a strategy or a way to share the gospel with others, it was when I was in college as a student with Campus Crusade. And I saw that literally happen over the course of one year where there was a man named Jim who was a campus director there who discipled me, and so you could put, you know, Jim and then Rick. And then I had three friends that I invited to a Bible study and began to teach and share what I was learning. And so you had Dwayne and Scott and Bruce that were there, and by the end of the year, they were discipling others. In one year, four generations... You know, and when you think about that, I mean, if we are going to reach this world for Christ, it will only happen through that kind of spiritual multiplication as we are building into the lives of others. We can't expect there to be, you know, just Billy Grahams that are doing evangelism. It's got to be individuals who are sharing their faith one-on-one, discipling others, helping others to grow, and then passing that on to other faithful men and women. We want to help you multiply your faith into the lives of others. We want to train and equip you to be able to do that. What we read in the book of Acts has also shaped our missions strategy as a church here. Our two primary focuses in our mission strategy are pastoral training and church planting. Pastoral training, it's what I'll be doing this week. Why do we do that? It's because we believe that we can multiply our ministry by building into the lives of these men that God has called to serve him in local churches. When we did this training in Cusco, Peru, those men that were there started 100 churches over a three-year period. 
Now that's multiplication. I mean, what we're hoping to do in Pocalpa here, uh, Mason, who's the senior pastor of this church, wanted me to come, wanted us to come. He wants his church to be a disciple-making church for that whole region that will affect, you know, the whole kind of Amazon basin there where they are connected to, villages and tribes and people groups that we would never reach. But these men will as they are trained and equipped to share the gospel. And then church planting. We work with unreached people groups as a church. We're involved in Bible translation. We are working in partnership ministries like Guatemala to help churches be equipped to plant other churches. And it is happening, and that's just so exciting to see it. That doesn't mean that we're not involved in other areas of missions, but those are primary in what we are trying to do. And then fourthly, Paul could not have done any of this without the means that Jesus gave us. Paul could not have accomplished the work that he did without the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit was evident throughout Paul's ministry. Paul's conversion was a work of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, that story we read, it said that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see clearly and that's not just physically but spiritually. He came to the Word of God. He could see and he understood who Jesus was. It's that same Holy Spirit that opens our eyes when we are converted that enables us to see our sin and to see Jesus for who he is as our Savior. He's the one that when we read the Scripture, illumines our mind, helps us to understand the Word of God and to see how it applies. As I preach on Sunday morning, he's the one who's giving me the words to say, and he's the one who enables you to hear it. And to hear it, and in your heart, he's saying, Amen, this is so. You know, put this into practice. And so Paul's conversion was a work of the Spirit. Paul's missionary journeys were directed by the Spirit. Once when he was in Troas, which is in Turkey, he was praying about, God, which way do you want us to go on this missionary journey? And the Spirit of Jesus would not permit him to go into Bithynia, and instead he saw this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so the whole course of Paul's ministry changed. And he went to Europe. He went to the West, led by the Spirit of God. And the rest is really history. And Paul wrote extensively on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 5, he talks about the filling of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, he talks about what it means to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and let his fruit be produced in us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he talks about not quenching the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit in Ephesians 4. I mean, you can go to all of these places where Paul is talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely essential to what we are trying to do. Paul's prayers were directed by the Spirit. And you can read those prayers in Philippians or Colossians and other places. And then in Romans 8, 26 and 27... You know, he said, if we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us with words or with groans too deep for words. So if you're stuck and you don't know what to pray, the Spirit is praying for you. Now, I know I just ran through a lot there. Those notes are on the web. I mean, if you wanted to go back and you said, you know what, I want to look up each of those passages, 
You could do that today or this week. You could take a look and see what Paul wrote about the ministry of the Spirit. But here's the question again for us then. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life? Again, have we surrendered our heart to Jesus? Have we asked him to fill us with his Spirit and use us? He will do that if we will. God's plan again is to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things and the key is to fully surrender ourselves to him. Now there are two questions I want to leave with you as we close this morning. I want you to think about how does my story fit with God's story? For each of us, how does our story, how does our life fit with this big plan of God to bring the gospels to the nations? What is my role in that? to pray and to give and to go and to serve or to do what I can to help others. And then secondly, who am I helping to become a follower of Jesus? If all of us are to be involved in making disciples, then who are the people that we are influencing to follow Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word and for the challenge it gives. These truths that I share today are the things that turned my life around when I was a college student. And I got a taste of ministry that has never left. And I've seen you work and do amazing things. And Father, I just I would pray that for all of us. That we would come to that point where we would trust you with our life. We'd say, Lord, here I am. And how can you use me? And it it starts again right here in our home, our neighborhood, with our children our ministry in the church, but also outside of the church. And Father, I pray that you would continue to use us as a congregation to be involved in missions that will change the world by your grace. And Father, we will give you all the praise and honor and glory for that. In Jesus' name.